Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This week on It Starts With Attraction. So what would you both say are the components of having a great sex life? Ah, the golden question. (laughs) Everyone wants to know. Yes. All right. So here's what the research shows. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. I have Adam and Carissa with me today. Adam and Carissa King, they are the host of an amazing podcast called Dear Young Married Couple. Should definitely go take a listen, but we'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. Adam and Carissa, thank you so much for joining me. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us. We love what you do. We've loved having you on our podcast and it's an honor to be on your podcast. Yes, all the things. Well, I feel like we are kindred spirits, love having every conversation I can with you guys, but we haven't talked about sex yet. No, we haven't. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, but before we get into that, so tell our listeners a little bit more context. So we know that you're the host of the podcast, Dear Young Married Couple, and tell us more about how you work with couples, kind of how you got into the space that you're in right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So I'm a marriage and family therapist and have been been a therapist for 12 years, right? Yeah. 11 11 years, 11 11. years. I've been working with couples ever since the beginning. My first client was a couple fresh Mm. out of grad school and I've loved working with couples. Um, But we didn't start working together until a few years in. No, I'm a philosopher actually. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yes. That's my training. And uh, a while back, Krista was started actually people were starting to ask her hey could you please talk about marriage could you do some you know classes mm. at uh you know just places around our um, where we live in California and Chris is like hey uh I don't want to talk about marriage by myself could you please come I said <laughs> I know kind of how to do it kind of how to do it but I don't know what to say like what do you you know like please love your wife you know <laughs> so we we did it. She gave me some scripts, and we did it. And um, he did an incredible job. <laughs> <laughs> and sure. we just jumped right in. And after a while, we started seeing a need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just for a conversation to be had in certain areas, especially this one that we're having today. Mm. And um, after that, it kind of snowballed. Chris was like, "We should probably write a book." And I was like, "Yeah. What am I going to say? <laughs> Same sort of thing." <laughs> And I remember we went out of town and we sat down and said, okay, what are we going to do? Like, why would anyone believe us? Like we've been Mm -hmm. married for eight years, but we want to just facilitate a conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, and we 
we don't want to think too much of ourselves. Like we have this incredible like revelation to give everyone that's older than us and younger than us. So we came to the conclusion, why don't we curate a conversation? Why don't we curate what people have to say about marriage mm-hmm. and try to find the truth in all these things that people are learning around us and just facilitate and have a conversation with people. And that's where the title came, Dear Young Married Couple. So it was originally a book title idea. And then we said, let's build a community around this before we write a book. Uh, and we'll curate conversations around marriage and mm-hmm. solicit advice from older or more experienced married couples. And wow. then it got into the podcast where we get people like you on, yeah. you know, who are experts in the field. And then we never wrote a book. And we never wrote a book. But <laughs> we decided there were uh, other needs. And we'll probably write mm-hmm. a book eventually. But there were other needs. And so we've we've pulled resources and products together to meet those needs that we saw. Mm-hmm. That's so fantastic. I didn't, I never knew the whole backstory. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And yes, y'all do a great job at curating the conversations. So I remember after I was a guest on your podcast a year ago, y'all sent me your card decks as a thank you. And I was so excited to open those and dig into them with my husband. And it gave us something, especially because it was like kind of still the middle of lockdown and COVID was crazy and all the things still. So it's like, we're here with each other and (laughs) we have watched everything we care to watch on Netflix. So (laughs) what else can we do? Well, Mm -hmm. we can talk and have these conversations. So we have used them and, and love them, but you have, so you have one, which we're not talking about today, which is the foundations. It's kind of a more, general, generic mm-hmm. couples conversations, one which is, which are amazing. But today we're talking about sexpectations. Yes. I yeah. said it right. Look at me. Sexpectations. <laughs> you can get tongue, tongue twisted on that one. What led you to want to really focus on the conversation of sex for a married mm-hmm. couple? Yeah. Well. We saw that couples, especially young couples, were not having crucial conversations around intimacy, not just the act of sexual intercourse, but intimacy in general. And of course, we're not talking about us. We have always been able to have these conversations. Always. Perfectly. It's just natural, you know. All you people who are listening, I'm smiling as I say this because... You know, we've been married now for 13, going on 14 years. And um, of course, that's what happens next after 13, 14. (laughs) And like, we've had a difficult time, you know, like, Mm -hmm. especially at the beginning, because both of us are from very conservative Christian homes. Mm -hmm. And the conversations around, well, for me, sex and intimacy were non-existent. Mm. And for Krissa, a lot more openness, but still there was some ambiguity there. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a difficult time at first talking about this stuff and and knowing honestly that we there was really no knowledge that we had things to talk about there. Like right? we just knew that there was some mm-hmm. space between where we wanted to feel or what we wanted what we wanted to experience and have, mm-hmm. but we didn't really know what to do from where we were. Mm-hmm. And that, and then we struggled and talked, and so years and years later, we came to the conclusion of, hey, we probably should have these sort of conversations. Yep. And mm-hmm. that, and then of course, Krista working constantly with clients around these topics, um, really s- 
solidified in our minds that we really do need to help couples understand that these are conversations that can be had mm-hmm. and really improve the quality of your relationship yeah. and your sex life. Because of course the two affect each other. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't need to take eight years to get there. Exactly. You could have those in the first year. Mm-hmm. And one of the important pieces I think, especially for us and then a lot of our audience, because like Adam said, we come from conservative Christian homes and a lot of our audience does as well. Um, But we see this even in non-Christian homes or non-conservative homes that sex is something that is just silent Mm -hmm. um, or there's there's negative stuff attached to it. So a lot of, you know, sex is dirty, bad, um, you know, it's there's trauma and baggage attached to it for a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. it's not celebrated as a beautiful gift mm-hmm. that we want to talk about and grow in mm-hmm. and connect over. Yeah, that's really powerful and providing. I also love how with the the way that you've approached it is with asking questions to each other. So Mm -hmm. how can you open up that conversation um, in a way that is, well, let me say it this way. I think the way that my husband and I talked about sex at the beginning of our marriage, a lot of the conversation started where the other person felt inferior or less than, or like Mm -hmm. they weren't. And so then it becomes a whole like, then you have these emotions tied to sex. Mm-hmm. Like I'm scared to even yes. approach it or talk about it. Yep. Um, so what are some of the best ways that you have seen couples really find the time to talk about sex with each other? So like, let's talk mm-hmm. about the tactics of the conversation. How do you get comfortable even talking about sex? Yes. Great question. One of the things that we talk about um, is like, let's take the relationship off the table for a moment and let's just think about the concept of sex. We need to get mm-hmm. more comfortable discussing sex in general. So that starts with, for parents who are listening, that starts with kind of filling the gaps that you didn't have growing up and talking about sex more openly with your kids in healthy celebratory ways, using the names of body parts. Cause that's one of the hangups for people in the bedroom. Like they don't even know how to, how to say what they want. Cause they can't use the body part names. Yeah. So using actual names of body parts when you're talking with your kiddos. Well, just to kind of expound on that, people were like, well, why not? Why would we call a penis a penis? Like, why don't we call it a, wiggly <laughs> that's that's my uh, uncle's name for it <laughs> oh man <laughs> so so like when we do that though and of course that's a funny name for it right yeah but like when we do that what do we the message that we're sending our kids is this is something that this is something kind of like a cuss word we don't say cuss mm-hmm. words we don't take the uh, you know the Lord God's name in vain. We don't like, you know, all this Mm -hmm. stuff that why we don't say things, you know, this is bad. This like, that's what we're sending. That message Mm -hmm. is, this is not safe. This is bad. So when we come into the confines of marriage, Mm -hmm. you can't go from a no, no, no to a go, go, go. Like suddenly Mm -hmm. you feel this liberty to use all the proper terminology and to experience incredible vulnerability and Mm -hmm. all these conflicting emotions all at once. It doesn't just instantly shift. For some people, this takes five years. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can 
as parents, and like Chris is starting way before the marriage, but as parents, we can start training our kids that this is something beautiful that God has gifted us with to be stewards of. Mm. And through this relationship, you get to know God's nature better. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's so many other things that we could talk about there, but showing our kids that this is something to be pursued and to enjoy within the confines of marriage. Yeah. Another way too to start having this conversation with your spouse, and this is one of the questions, actually, this one's in the foundations card deck. And the foundations card deck, you know, covers a lot of areas of the marriage, but it also does cover sex um, in a way that would be appropriate for even a premarital couple to discuss. And that question is, um, what did the conversation look like around sex and intimacy in your family growing up? Mm -hmm. What was the attitude around sex Mm -hmm. in your family growing up? So that question kind of um, sets a foundation. If you can talk about that a bit more openly, and then you'll have follow-up questions based on what you're hearing from your spouse about the attitude in your family growing up. Right. And then the following conversation Mm -hmm. from that question that Chris just gave would be, what from our family of origin around sex and sexuality do we want to repeat? Mm -hmm. And what around our Mm -hmm. family of origin do we not want to repeat? Because there's things that we can take from our family that was good, Mm -hmm. that was helpful, that was wonderful. And some things that were like, you know, let's be strategic around this and change this and this and this, because I feel like this produced something that's not as helpful in in our relationship. Yeah. Mm. Going back to talking with our kids about sex and setting healthy expectations for sex, mm-hmm. different things like that. So, how do you balance that in especially in today's world where they have access to so much information and different lines of thought and Another and another part of this is I recently read this book that was talking about how how much the the really the goal that's been put in people's minds of happiness is when I am sexually happy. Like mm-hmm. a lot of what we're seeing happen in our culture is mm-hmm. coming from this very well, sex is here to make me happy and I'm just yeah. going to follow where sex takes me kind of kind of mindset even mm-hmm. from early children. And so how do you balance wanting to teach them about the good things about sex and about themselves without them thinking, well, sex is just to fulfill me in any way I want to be fulfilled? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you totally stated the world's message there about, you know, sex is to make you happy. Um, it's for you, 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 and Mm. if you don't teach your children a different message around that, uh, then the world will. Like that's, mm. that's the world they're growing up in. So preparing your children for a healthy sex life and a healthy sexual identity mm. um, really starts with preparing them for what they're going to hear, yeah. <laughs> you know, so giving them a different narrative before they are ever fed a narrative from the world. Mm-hmm. And that mm. comes to, I mean, pornography is part of that. Um, mm. You know, so th- again, preparing them, shielding them and protecting them from pornography has nothing to do with like avoiding pornography altogether. It has to do, I mean, obviously want to have shields in place there, but like it has to do with preparing them for when they are exposed mm-hmm. because they live mm. in a world that they're going to be exposed to it. We yeah. have um, we've stopped asking premarital couples if they've seen porn, and we just started asking, "What's your exposure like? Like, what's your? It's been like in your in your wow. family, mm-hmm. just because 
um, the mm-hmm. age of average exposure, I'm sure you know this, is um, 8 to 11, ages mm-hmm. 8 to 11. Yep. And that's absolutely what we're seeing, yeah. even in very, very uh, sheltered homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like people that, you know, like, I'm surprised, like you had a you had a perfect household and you still were exposed to this. Yeah, my cousin or yeah, mm-hmm. school or yeah. And and it's it's all around us. So I think what parents have to do instead of this, uh, of course, I'm we're all for, you know, trying to shelter our kids and make sure that they're not exposed to anything prematurely. But we have to also be wise that this is the world. We're in the world. We're just not of it. And how do we prepare and have these crucial conversations early on and honest enough where when something comes, it's not like this traumatic event. And even if it's a traumatic event, hopefully the parents are able to come alongside their kids and not react in a way that would scare their kids and make you, the parent, not a safe place to come to. And you bring up a really good point, which also you know, answers your question, Kimberly, that it's not so much about the content that you're presenting to your children as much as it is about the process by which you discuss it. So mm-hmm. when you come to this conversation with your spouse, with your children, with confidence and warmth and openness, trust, a sense of vulnerability and connection, not judging, not you know putting walls up then they're going to feel safe with you. Mm-hmm. So when stuff does come up, who are they going to think of to talk to first? The safest connection. And right. that's going to be you. So it's less about like, what do I say to my kids? What's the content? What's the word? What's the you know stem? You know, mm. It's more about like, am I curating, again, an openness, an, an open conversation and a safe place for them? I like to ask parents, mm. how are you meeting their, your kids? Are you meeting them with defensiveness and walls up mm. and openness and love? Or like, what, what is the, the attitude that you're presenting to them? Because they feel that tension. Mm-hmm. And if they feel the tension, oh man, I just brought something that's rough to my parents that this is really uncomfortable. I don't yeah. want to don't want to do this again. And that's not what we want to happen. So it's okay for parents not to have all the perfect words and just be like, you know, I don't know how to explain this to you. Can I think about this and come back to you? Mm. Because this is an ongoing like can you like how many other things like in money you're not going to teach about your all the finances and mm-hmm. you know teach them how to balance a checkbook who does that anymore <laughs> but like how to balance your bank account and how to save for call it like all these things that we teach about money we don't mm-hmm. expect to do that in one sitting yeah we do this over years and years and years of having them sit down next to us and we show them yeah. what our process and hey i'm going to put some money here in my 401k because hey look at wow look look at the growth that happens over years and years mm-hmm. and years and get them excited about the process yeah. that's discipling yeah mm-hmm. we're not lecturing we're discipling yeah mm, i love that okay one more question about the kids then we're going to go back to the couple okay so what ages do you think I mean, clearly, like when they're young, we, we've done the same thing with our kids for better or for worse. I think our kids are the only ones at church or school that are like, my penis, my vagina. Like, <laughs> yes. that's our kids. I yeah. have stories about that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, they're the words for it. I don't know what exactly. Um, but, you know, when do you start having those, those conversations about sex? Yeah. If yep. they're seeing things earlier now. Right. 
Yes. It starts very early. As soon as she probably has stories about Adeline. Oh, we have plenty of stories, but (laughs) as soon as they're able to talk, we need to be having a celebratory attitude around sexuality, even if we're not describing Mm. the act of intercourse yet. I think my daughter was three when her cousin said, ew, look at the horse's bottom. Ew, ew. And she goes, the horse's bottom is beautiful. God made the horse's bottom. And I'm like, yes, like we haven't talked at three years old about the act of intercourse, but she's already developing this attitude of celebration on around Mm. the body. And so you know, yes, you start super young celebrating your body and the fact that you are a sexual being. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as conversations come up around, um, you know, like seeds in the garden, um, the butterfly turning into, you know, you know, morphing into, you know, the, the chrysalis and then the, like we're having conversations about what it looks like to develop and to grow and, you know, Mm -hmm. how the seed gets fertilized in the ground when we're putting fertilizer on the grass. If you think about it, we are at much more disadvantage than I think people in ancient times because they lived more closely to nature. They watched how horses had babies and cows had babies and rabbits had babies. Like Mm -hmm. they'd seen this, this process happening. Um, And if we really wanted to get down to it, like even in ancient times, sex was celebrated. Uh, Chris is working actually on her dissertation um, in theology around this whole topic right now. And she came across some really interesting research about how the Jews in first century Judaism celebrated sex. And it wasn't like an in-corner thing. Do you want to share it? Yeah. So, you know, their weddings were multiple days feasts. Mm -hmm. And just like, you know, our traditional wedding today, they would have like a vows exchange ceremony uh, on the first day. And then there was a wedding chamber on site at the premises that was a, a, a big bed that was, you know, it was private. It was surrounded with, um, you know, the the cloths, but they were expected to go consummate their marriage right there at the party, at the reception on the first day of the feast. With the kids running around the tents. Yeah. Yeah. And they're in the tent, you know, but what do you think little two-year-old, three-year-old Johnny is asking mommy? Right? What are they doing doing in there? there? (laughs) (laughs) They are loving on each other. Exactly. We're celebrating. They got married. It's so exciting. Right? So, your question about what age do we start talking about this? As soon as they can talk, you know, we're not necessarily giving them information that they can't understand. Right. But Mm -hmm. to the extent that they can understand, you know, our two year old, Forrest, every time Adam comes in to like hug me or we're kissing in the kitchen, he says, you're married, you're married, you know, like, so no, he doesn't know what the act of intercourse is that he would not understand that. Right. But he understands that when you're, when you're in love and you're passionate and you're showing affection physically, you know, that's a representation of marriage. Right. So yeah, you're having the conversations as soon as they can talk and you're, curating that open environment um, mm. between your, you and your spouse and then you and your kids about, hey, any question goes, you can ask me any question, you know? And they're most likely not going to ask questions beyond what they understand. And if even if they do, like, where do babies come from? I'm not going to go into, you know, the depths of all that stuff. But, you know, we can give them a pretty good understanding of it. Well, you know how when you put a seed in the garden and mm-hmm. you watch it grow, and that's in, in, you know, 
and you could just kind of go off of that. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways. But I think the biggest mm-hmm. thing that we're trying to show here is that what we're trying to do is foster a, an open dialogue. Yep. Yeah. That we are a safe place. And mm-hmm. that is our aim. And if we become a safe place, we can hopefully undo the the problems or the the negative messages that are coming and the shaming mes- messages that are coming, but also um, help facilitate that safety in this place too, because they're gonna they're gonna get encounter some really hard things. Yeah. What happens when pornography comes along? And it will. Mm-hmm. What happens when all these? I'm gonna be there for my my son and just say, hey, you know, I'm always here for you. And mm-hmm. and we're right now giving those sort of indicators like. Mm-hmm. Put, planting those seeds of I'm always here. You can ask Daddy anything. I'm, I'm, I'm here to listen to you. Yep. So it's it's the talks. It's never the talk. Mm, so good, so good. So let's talk about pornography and marriage. Mm. Yes. What do you do when you're working with a couple that either there's one who wants pornography to be a part of their sex life, or um, Second question, different. Do you say anything to a couple if both of them are fine with it? Do you try and talk them out of it? Yeah, that's mm. a good question. So, as counselors, yeah, you know, in our uh, line of work, in conjunction with uh, our audience being a pretty conservative Christian audience, most people come to us because there's been broken trust when one member Mm -hmm. of the couple finds out that the other member is using pornography. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's not like an agreed upon thing that they were both using it. But even if you take, you know, spiritual values or religious upbringing out of the conversation, there's a lot of science behind the fact that pornography is damaging to a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to try to argue with a couple if they have a value system that's different than my own. That's part of, you know, our ethical approach to counseling. Right. Right. Well, there's a really good quote that says a man uh, convinced against his will is of the opinion still. (laughs) Like we're not going to try to push our values on someone or even the science on someone if they don't want to hear it. Yeah. If they don't want to hear it, but if they're genuinely asking and like kind of the question you just asked, like, you know, this has been something that's part of our relationship and how, what's your advice here? What, where would you direct us here? Um, I would direct them to the science around this. There's a book called Mm -hmm. your brain on porn. It's um, not Gregory Wilson. I believe. Yes. It's not from a, a Christian perspective at all. Although a lot of books about healing from pornography are from a Christian perspective. This one's not. Um, Freedom Fighters is also not Freedom Fighters. Yeah. And it's just about Mm. the science. Like what does, what does porn do to your brain? Um, Mm. And in short, it wires your brain to respond to a stimulus that is an object and not a subject. Um, So what happens Mm. when you get into a relationship, we see a lot of erectile dysfunction. We see Mm. a lot of disinterest. If Mm. they have been using porn because their brain says this is the way to respond to a sexual stimulus and there's, there's no risk involved as far as, you know, they're not, I'm not going to experience rejection. I'm not going to have any right. you know requirements from this person because it's not a person, it's an object. So, yeah. you know, it's, there is a lot of science there. And so we would direct people to the science if they have questions about, you know, the health or lack thereof of pornography use in the relationship. Sure. That makes total sense. Makes total sense. Is, can now, all of the things you just mentioned, like erectile dysfunction, things like that, maybe even 
well, I don't know. I'm not going to go further because I I've read the research. I'm not as familiar with it as you might be, but what about, is there healing? Like, so how do you, especially after years of use Mm -hmm. or years of your brain, brain being trained that way, can you unwire it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. That's, and that's what we do a lot of. Adam sees a lot of couples who are dealing with yeah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very painful um, experience for people because mm-hmm. um, when they come to us, generally couples do see pornography as a broken trust because normally it's done in secrecy. Mm-hmm. After a while, I think normally one of the spouses see themselves as being objectified or see spouses objectifying and don't want to be put in that category of you know, a thing that you get off on. So, mm-hmm. so um, when they come in and maybe this has been a secret in their marriage, it is a, bro- a form of broken trust. And I think Esther Perel says that secrets are the buffer to intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so when there's been a secret that's been kept for a long time, of course, trust is broken. And, and John Gottman says that, you know, that trust and commitment are the, the pillars on which a marriage rests or stands or stands firm. Mm -hmm. And so when one of those pillars are shattered, trust part, and then the commitment doesn't feel there because they've been viewing a whole bunch of other women, which Mm -hmm. maybe one spouse says that this has nothing to do with you. I've been doing this way before you, Mm -hmm. but the other spouse is like, but there are other women involved now in my, in my room. So putting the pieces back is absolutely possible. Um, I've seen it happen so, so many times right now, um, working with a couple that it, it's just phenomenal the work they've done in such a short amount of time where he hid this for years and years and years and actually escalated. So remember that our bodies become accustomed to the dopamine rush that we would get from looking at so much novelty. Well, the novelty itself starts to become unnovel after a while because it's, it's just, yeah. yeah, tolerance is built. So you have naked women and naked women and, or men or whatever. Um, you have all this, and we can give you stats for mm-hmm. for all that too. But after a while, tolerance is built up, and then they need something more. And so mm-hmm. this person was out doing other things with individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, of course, common. This is just the first example that popped in my head. And so when it escalates, then even more trust is broken. And normally that is what happens. Yeah, I mean, from what I've personally seen. Healing from it, you know, involves going through the steps of broken trust, Mm -hmm. you know? So how can I work to trust this person again? How can I, you know, show that I'm trustworthy? And then on the flip side, how Mm -hmm. can I, you know, learn to trust this person? Um, And then there's forgiveness involved there. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's so many pitfalls and, and little snags that couples get stuck in in this journey. That's when this happens, when there is trust broken, this is where I really suggest finding a really good, like, like I know that you Kimberly are a um, advocate for people that are advocating for your marriage. Mm -hmm. So somebody that can walk with you because there are so many little things that happen Mm -hmm. that people don't even realize it. Like, you know, I've said sorry five times and now I'm just tired of saying sorry. And can't we just move on and you keep bringing it up. And, Mm -hmm. and then that, what does that happen in in the other spouse? Oh, well, if, if you're wanting to move on so fast, then how do I know you're not going to do it again? Mm -hmm. Right. The two questions that all spouses have, how can you do this to me? 
And how do I know you're not going to do it again? Right. And so, so there's this interplay of, of moves that we make in this dance that can make this dance really get out of hand quickly and, or at least slow down the intimacy yeah. um, for a long, long time until it's brought back to the surface and faced head on. Yeah. And so healing looks like working through that broken trust. Yes. And then uh, one of those steps in working through the broken trust in the reconciliation step is uh, a process called um, sensate focus. And it's a tra- mm. you're familiar with it. It's a traditional um, sex therapy treatment method. And we have seen a lot of progress from this in the couples that we work with. So uh, it's five stages and, you know, you work toward fully connected, all five senses engaged intercourse at the end of the five stages. But Mm -hmm. you work your way up to that in a way that's safe. You're working on building safe touch and engaging Mm -hmm. the five senses and treating your spouse as a subject rather than an object. And in this process, it's the rewiring like you talked about. You're rewiring Mm -hmm. as you're doing this process. Mm -hmm. That's like, this is a, a subject, not an object to just get my needs met, but this is a person that I meet, yeah, that I love, that I connect with. And it's beautiful mm. to see the results from that. Yeah. That is so good. And in our first year of marriage, Rob went to a counselor. So we both went to two separate counselors. Okay. And um, Rob's counselor told him that we just needed to watch porn together. Oh, wow. Man. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, which... We didn't like that wasn't part of our beliefs and value system. However, um, it wasn't until four years after that that I found out that Rob had been mm-hmm. and had been keeping it a secret. So everything that you are saying about like how you feel and there's the trust that's been betrayed and there needs mm-hmm. to be rebuilding. Yes. I I very strongly agree with and feel for yeah. the women who find that out because because I've been there. Yes. Um and thankfully, I mean, by the grace of God and and Rob following in that, he has been porn free for several several years now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's I know it's really yeah. awesome. And it's it's kind of a gut check for me because every so often I'll ask, right? Because mm-hmm. we, sure. we finally got to a safe enough place where he knew he could share with me and mm. I wasn't gonna attack him and and all the things, but I also wouldn't ask if I wasn't in a place to be able to hear the truth. Right. So, um, like I'll ask him and he's like, no, I'm, I, I haven't. And the desire isn't really there as strongly mm. as it used to be. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, the temptation of that and the, yep. the, the lure of it, I don't think could ever fully go away sure. for, yeah. for people. But so everything you're saying, I am standing in agreement with yes. for the listeners and just, and and so some further questions that I have for that. So how do you work with the man who might be just so filled with shame mm. that they they don't know how to tell their wife or they don't want to have to experience that? Like yeah. there's a lot of shame that's yes. piled on top of that as well. Yep. Yeah. So first of all, you know, it's working through the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt mm. is really healthy. Guilt is a mechanism that leads us to repentance and not just in a spiritual sense, in a behavioral sense. Repentance is turning that 180 and going a different direction, reconciling. And mm-hmm. so guilt is a healthy thing. If you're dealing with this, whoever's listening and you go, man, that's me. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to tell my spouse. 
you know, guilt is something that's healthy. So embrace the guilt and let it lead you to repentance. Mm -hmm. Now, the shame piece, we feel guilt for what we've done, but we feel shame for who we are. And the shame, even once you've repented and you've reconciled, the shame can haunt people for years if they don't deal with the identity shift. Mm -hmm. So you've got to work through who am I? Am I a porn user? Am I um, this nasty person who, you know, is, is, be looked at as some, you know, dirty, like sometimes you put those labels on yourself or someone has put them on you and it, you have to make that choice to remove those labels. And it's not as easy as it sounds sometimes, no. right? Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart or women, mm-hmm. so is he mm-hmm. or she. And when, when, you know, you have these messages about yourself or about your deficiencies or about how terrible you are, um, going on, you know, autopilot all the time, mm-hmm. you know, habits build character, right? So it's all, yeah. all the time you're going to start to, you know, shame is what propagates a, a, an addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first things, yeah, we would do is start working on the automatic thought processes that happen, mm-hmm. which would be like CBT for mm-hmm. those who are wondering cognitive behavioral therapy. And then also, um, I'm a huge fan of using um, internal family systems with mm. with with clients. That um, I, it's a, a way of looking at people as there's parts of you, mm-hmm. and there's a part of you that really wants to watch porn because of the feelings it gives you. It's a re- it's a release. It's an escape. It's a pacifier. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also also part of you that's screaming at you like you idiot, don't go there. What are you doing? Like you're destroying yeah. things. If you're if this is a lie, this is gonna this is gonna all go down in flames. And so we have these internal f- conflicts. Mm-hmm. These are parts of us, mm-hmm. and sometimes they hate each other. And then we have this self that is undamageable. That's um, well, as a Christian, I would say the imago dei, the the image mm-hmm. of God in you that's loving and kind and curious and and so going down to that part and 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 then allowing um ourself to go to these different parts with love mm-hmm. and saying like you know why do you hold this shame mm-hmm. and always parts are there because of something hard that's happened parts are there protecting mm-hmm. an injury so when we can go to that shaming part or that part that that acts out in an addiction we can go to that part with love and say hey you know i'm here what's going on mm-hmm. and allowing to see these images and these flashbacks of when they were 8 years old when their dad did this and that or when their uncle did this to them or when you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. we can allow in being a christian I like to take Jesus into that situation. And it's, it's really amazing watching this happen is mm-hmm. clients just break down as they, they are for, for the first time allowing God to come and teach, touch these broken parts of them. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, they have no, they have no protector. They, they don't need to protect something so viciously anymore mm-hmm. because the only way we start to change our internal map is that we come at it with love and not shame. We can't shame a part of us into obedience or into like lying. Like, you know, what are you doing? You idiot. Like, did that ever work for anybody, you know, yelling at themselves? 
It never does. Yeah, but when yeah. we could come at ourselves with compassion and say, you know, hey, this is a hard situation. Mm-hmm. You are really caught into this. But you know, this is probably not the right path. Let's let's find out why we're acting this way, where it's coming from, and maybe find some strategies around this because mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful work and it's it's incredible to watch people change so quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Thank you for working with people like who are, who are experiencing that. And that's, I mean, that is for the listeners. This is a prime example of great counseling. Mm. Not that they're giving you counseling right now, but <laughs> this is a prime example of like what a counselor can do for you and what a great counselor who's committed to helping you do the healthy things for your relationship can can help you can help you experience in healing and freedom mm. on the other side of it. So mm-hmm. so true. Thank you for just sharing a picture of that. Let's talk about some of the happier parts of sex. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, so we all, what, we have those blocks before we normally get to the freedom, right? That's <laughs> yeah, true. That's right. Yes, that's right. we have to work through the all that the stuff. dirty stuff yeah. getting to the better stuff. So, what would you both say are the components of having a great sex life? Ah, the golden question. <laughs> Everyone wants to know. Yes. All right. So here's what the research shows. It's friendship, and friendship has a lot to do with trust, so we can talk about trust. Um, But friendship is number one. And number two is prioritizing your sex life. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like, you know, how often or where you do it and how you do it. It's it's, how crazy it is when you do it. Yeah, it's the friendship (laughs) and then how, how much of a priority you make it. Um, So that's what the research boils down to is those two components. Those two components. That's it right there. Yes. Okay. And so this is doable. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. But it's not always easy as no. everybody knows. Like, oh, yeah, okay, we got it. Now we can just turn the podcast off and just go on about our lives and having <laughs> a wonderful sex life. Because like, so this studies show that couples that are enjoying good sex and have these component components in place say that sex, their sex life is about you know, 15 to 20% of their happiness, like of their satisfaction in marriage. They, that's only about 20% of that. But when couples are in a difficult place, mm-hmm. the lack of good sex, they contribute that lack of good sex to be about 50 to 70% of their of dissatisfaction. Their, of their dis- dissatisfaction. Yeah. So when it's a problem in wow. your marriage, it's a massive, problem. huge mm-hmm. problem. But when it's good, it's like, yeah, but that's just a cherry on top. Yeah, like, it's an outgrowth of the friendship, the trust and vulnerability and the fact that we prioritize mm-hmm. that. Just because yeah. of so many elements that go into this. So we, okay, hmm. we, were t- we were talking about this before we started this and uh, thought of a, a funny analogy. He's like, I'm going to share that analogy. <laughs> like, Even though right, it makes me it. vulnerable, okay, people? So <laughs> don't judge. Um, so um, a while back... Chris says, says, hey, let's, um, I'd really like, and this is actually in an argument. Um, (laughs) This is a tool that she, yeah, (laughs) she, she gave, she, she used a tool on me that we teach that was not fair. (laughs) It was an empathetic listening tool. Yeah. Okay. For, for you who, who want to know what this tool is, it's, uh, you know, I wish that 
blank. And if that happened, I would feel blank. So it's a way of expressing your needs. And then we've kind of adapted this to say, um, and that would make sense. So you're supposed to actively listen to that back. Like, you know, Krista wishes that I would go to Disneyland, a world. And if that <laughs> happened, she would feel loved and cared for and cherished. Something in that, right? Yeah. Okay. But I was being the active listener prior to this conversation yes. and listening to all your woes as to why you didn't want to go to Disney World. Because the, the, her family cornered me. <laughs> And they're like, everybody wants to go, Adam. Why are you the, like the Grinch stuck in the mud yeah, Adam. dude who doesn't like to go to Disney World? Long yeah, story. Adam, what's going on? Yeah. I am broken. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it, I just don't believe the propaganda that Disney World is the happiest place in the world. But so... It's just the most expensive. That's, yes. There you, go. Yeah. there you go. Let's go golfing. Let's go hunting. Let's go fishing. Yeah. So, so she does this and I have to actively listen to this wish that she gives, which is, you know, I heard you say this and this and this, this is your wish and how you'd feel. And that makes sense because, 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 mm-hmm. you know, being with your family and having wonderful times with everyone around you gives you good feelings because so Long story short, we go. <laughs> but there was compromises on both ends, and we really did work to find a way to 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 make this work. And and what was rough for me is like, you know, hey, do you want to go to Disney World, Adam? You know, this sounds like a great time. Well, okay, you know, it's going to take a lot of money to get there. We're going to have to get the kids on a plane. Mind you, I have, you know, a four and a half old and a, and a two, two year old, put them on a plane for what, seven hours <laughs> with a layover, you know, like try to keep them off the floor and rolling yes. on the floor in the airport and, you know, throwing food and yelling and screaming and meltdowns when their nap is supposed to be, you know, like all these things, you know, that, that mm-hmm. but okay. So I, does this sound like a great time? And then once you get there, Adam, you're probably not going to have too much fun because you don't really like rides because you get car sick in them. And then because you live, um, a, have a different diet than normally what Disney World provides, <laughs> this really doesn't sound super appetizing. Okay. Not to mention all the expectations of how we would do theme parks differently. But do you see like kind of the, that the, what we're setting up here is... I have a very spontaneous desire around Disney yeah. World. I am yeah. excited at the thought of going to Disney World. He has a responsive desire around the idea of Disney World that has to be built up and planned. And very intentional on my part. But yeah. maybe once I'm there, I can open my heart and watch my children run around and enjoy it now. There are certain things that I still don't like about Disney World. <laughs> but there were also some really positive takeaways that I have, the memories that we've made, the wonderful aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so just to give this analogy, not everybody right away wants to go to Disney World. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? There's blocks, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and it's not this spontaneous desire. Yeah. And, and so there, if we were to, to kind of draw this like 
bring this analogy around to sex, you know, people, there's a lot of times where like there isn't spontaneous desire for let's, I'm just going to be use generalities because um, there's like this 80, 20 principle that normally women don't have spontaneous desire. Mm-hmm. And and some do, and you're perfectly normal if you do. And some do. Yeah. God bless you. <laughs> and then the other, like, and men have this continual sexual desire, pretty much. Remember, I'm using generalities. I'm just going to go from here, like, guys, girls, okay? So please understand this is not 100% true, but this is just to make the conversation much more easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where men have spontaneous desire, when we think sex, we think, Oh, this sounds like a great time. Let's go. Women are are they have they they have to be courted into the idea. Mm-hmm. They got to pack for Disney World. They got to think about the fun that it's going to be, the excitement and the memories made, right. and make How the decision. Handle the, kid. handle the kids, right? The things that come up in between here and there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And all the baggage mm-hmm. that has to be transported mm-hmm. from place to place, and so. You know, if you're doing things right, you guys can get over that hump and get on the plane and go and have a good time. Now, sometimes though, there there are issues when you get there, mm-hmm. like we experienced. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sometimes, and, and if you're doing things right, you go and once you're there, once you put your 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 body close to your your spouse and you're loving on each other, you realize, hey, I'm so happy I'm here. This mm-hmm. is a good time. This is really good. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so happy we're we're here, and that's something that a lot of people have to work on reminding themselves mm-hmm. that once they're there, they do have a good time. But then sometimes it's not so easy for people, even when they get there and they're in the park mm-hmm. and they're supposed to be enjoying the happiest place on earth, they aren't. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and and sometimes that's from mm-hmm. negative self-talk, negative body image, negative. Uh, just maybe there's trauma involved, um, which will quickly stop. And we see those as, and um, I think Emily and uh, Nagasaki or Nagoski. Nagoski, yes. uh, Emily Nagoski talks about breaks and accelerators in, in your marriage, and sometimes trauma can be a handbrake, like your emergency mm-hmm. brake is on. Mm-hmm. 100% of the time and mm-hmm. and it's going to take you it's going to take a lot of effort and acceleration and acceleration yeah. to overcome the the emergency brake that's pulled. And mm-hmm. so counseling sometimes once you're there if it's not working can help to work on what is holding you back from enjoying it once you're there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know we kind of laid out a whole bunch of different elements but I think this is this is the landscape that we find ourselves Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's not like a, a huge e-break, like a trauma, but sometimes it's just that you don't like the food at Disney World. Like, you know, you just yeah. don't like the rides and you don't like the music, the music, you know, like those are things that, um, you know, we just are like actual breaks, not necessarily the hard breaks, but the, the small break taps that are going to come up for you. And so do your best to have these expectations conversations to help eliminate some of those breaks and, you know, give yourself some accelerators to push you to that place of experience, that, that place of excitement and pleasure, mutual pleasure. Right. And so many couples that we've worked with, if they don't have a solid foundation of trust, 
they're established, they don't really talk about sex because that's super vulnerable of like, you know, I'd rather you not do this or I'd rather you do more of this. Or even in the moment, they're not able to say, hey, do that, please. Mm. You know, could you please do that? So if we don't have, if we don't have um, a a free and open conversation Mm. regarding this, it becomes very difficult for the other spouse or either one of the spouses to know what to do once they get there. And that way they're not enjoying the music. They're not enjoying the rides, that sort of thing. So that's where we have to open that conversation up. Mm, I love that. So as we are wrapping up, so I could ask you 8,000 more questions about (laughs) this because this, this interview has been fantastic, but what are the, so as the last kind of key takeaways for our listeners, because we've covered a lot, what would you say from here is the best next thing for them to do in order to have a great sex life? Oh, boiling it down. Hmm. Like, can I have like three things? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm not going to force you into the one. Yeah. So here's go- the number one, three things. Yes. Thing. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> Yes. So women who have date nights, all right, let's say men who have date nights once a week are two and a half times less divorce prone. Women who have date nights once a week are four times less divorce prone and report higher levels of happiness, connection, and et cetera. So one of the biggest things is making sure that friendship is solid. Because if you have no time to have these conversations, then these conversations will not happen. And generally, if you're getting in bed, you're not like, okay, by the way, like, how do you want to get touched? And it might not be, you guys might be just wanting to connect and not like to use your right brain or left brain for that matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. At that moment. So having, mm-hmm. setting aside time just to be friends and to set, take touch and sex off the table mm-hmm. or maybe not oblig, obligatory sex, mm-hmm. take that off the table and just to connect to connect. Yeah. That will send a really powerful message to the other person. To the ladies, I would say, and this could be to the men as well, but speaking uh, woman to woman, lean into sexy. Amen. A lot of times... Women, uh, listen to this. <laughs> a lot of times women, uh, for whatever reason, whatever baggage or silence that they grew up with around sex and sexuality, have a hard time um, thinking of themselves as sexual beings. And so lean into sexy. And what does that look like for you? It's going to look different for each person. For some women, it might be, I'm going to take a shower as long as I want to. And I'm actually going to shave my legs. Like Mm. that could be what leaning into sexy feels like. Um, It could be, I'm going to turn on, even if we're not going to have sex, I'm going to turn on some music that just kind of gets me in the mood of feeling sensual, Mm. connected to my spouse. It might mean leaning in to make out for a few seconds. Um, so sending a sexy text, sending a sexy text, thinking about yeah. sex later. So mm-hmm. those are what we call um, that stoking excitement mm-hmm. for a woman. Excitement is first, and then desire follows. Mm-hmm. So once we start working on those accelerators, there is a predictable pattern. This is not like you don't make this pattern up every single time. So there are things that help you get to the point where you do want to be intimate with your spouse. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's what we mean, leaning in. 
what are those things that tell you I am sexy? I would like to I would like mm-hmm. to experience closeness with my spouse right now. In a sensual way. In a sensual way. Yeah. And that will there are things and and writing those down would be very helpful. Yes, absolutely. The last the last thing I would say is what is your spouse's recipe? Mm-hmm. You know, what what are those things that create the environment in which you want to make out and love and have sex mm-hmm. and intercourse and cuddle and and all those connecting things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leaning into the five senses. So, okay, so we're touching lots of different places. I would highly recommend, I'm not trying to push, <laughs> but I'd highly recommend looking at our card deck or finding our card deck that you talked about earlier, sex expectations, mm-hmm. because it does ask these very pointed questions mm-hmm. of like, you know, that we're actually dancing around Yeah. of like, what is your recipe? Yeah. What are your top three places on your body that you like to be kissed? Mm-hmm. You know, it asks more specific questions that help you figure out like the recipe. Um, and the recipe changes. We do our sex expectations cards with each other at least every, what, six months or so. Um, and we're always learning. And we're always learning and changing. Because we change. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, we keep it in our glove box and on trips and mm-hmm. stuff. We'll pull them out and you do a couple cards and connect. Yeah. Even though, I mean, we're driving, so we can't have sex. It's not to have sex. It's just to get <laughs> to know each other better. But it's incredible the conversations that come out of those cards. Yeah, absolutely. Those are fantastic. So figure out what it is for you that helps you feel sexy and turned on. Figure out what it is for your spouse through conversation and then find the time to connect at least once a week. Yes. Huge. So, 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 so good. Okay. Adam and Carissa, where can people find you, get the card decks, hear your podcast, all the things? They can go to DearYoungMarriedCouple.com. They can search uh, at DearYoungMarriedCouple on Instagram, uh, all the things, Pinterest, Facebook, YouTube. uh, And then they can um, connect with us there. We want to actually have dialogue, become part of the, the DYMC fam respond, send things to your spouse. It's interesting looking at how many sends we have on on posts, right? When people want to like send this advice to their spouse and have a conversation about it. So do all the things and and we want to connect with you. And you can find the card decks on Amazon. Yes. Um, Sexpectations actually. So good old Amazon flag (laughs) sexpectations as some, even though there's so many other things that are not... Because of the word sex sex in the title. In the title. So you have to like search it on Google or go to our website. But safest way is just to go to Yeah, but to find our other cards like foundations and realizations. And we actually have a Spanish foundations, fundamentos. Um those are all on on Amazon. I love it. We'll include the link directly to Amazon for the card deck too in the show notes so that it's so that it's easy for people. I have it pulled up right here on my Boom. on my right. computer. There you go. So super easy. It's prime. You'll get it in two days. So you can yes. go ahead and start planning the date night now and have the card deck to take with you. There in the car. you go. Yes. Oh, and if they want a little freebie, 10 ways to spice up your sex life, uh, they can go to dearyoungmarriedcouple.com slash sexpectations and they can grab that PDF right now as they're listening and they'll Perfect. help them with some of those recipe items. 
Perfect. Perfect. We'll include that link as well for the listeners, but also just go to dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. You can find all the things that Adam and Chris have talked about, as well as a link to their podcast, which you should go take a listen as well. I love what this couple is doing. I love what they stand for. I love that they are carrying the message of marriage and how marriage is good for us to the world that they are living in and the people that they serve. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Thank you, Kimberly. Uh, And thank you for all that you do. Yes. Such an honor Mm. to join forces with you. We appreciate you very much. Thank you for having us on. Adam and Carissa are a joy to talk to. I could honestly talk to them for hours on end. They are kindred spirits. I love what they're doing. I loved this episode and here are my key takeaways. There were so many, but these are just some, even some that I've continued thinking about because I'm actually recording this part of the podcast several weeks after I had my conversation with them. And the one thing that has stayed on my mind the whole time is how I talk to my kids about sex. Now, my kids are young. They're seven and five, but I've even begun to keep my eyes open and see what are some ways that I can talk about it, begin bringing it up. I love what Carissa said about even just planting and using vegetables and fruit that they're planting in their garden as a way to begin talking about sex in a positive and pure way that is age appropriate. I have also begun doing this with my daughter when it comes to body image. I've become very mindful of how I talk about myself and my own body and the way that I look. And I, the same with her, I want her to have a positive body image. The other day, my seven-year-old daughter, who is skinny as a rail, asked me if she was fat. You guys, this was all I needed to give me a reality check of what is my daughter hearing me say? I've got to make sure that I'm watching the way I talk about women and my body and her body and everyone's body in a positive way and not going around asking even my own husband, does this make me look fat? That's not the message I want my daughter to have to grow up with. This is so important. The talk about sex and the talk about body image with our kids and how we are forming them could not be more relevant to where we are today. And finally, I love what they said about us being stewards of the sexual relationship. Sex, I believe, is a gift from God. It is something for pleasure and for procreation, but the best parts of it are done in a committed relationship. That is where you can feel most free, most loved, and most secure. And so how can we be great stewards of that sexual relationship, not just in teaching our kids about it and the great parts of sex, but also what to be mindful of when it comes to sex and how we even show our bodies at a young age and whether or not we should and all of those things, putting all of that aside at its core, how can we be great stewards of the sexual relationship, even within our own marriage by nurturing it, fostering it and helping it grow. It starts with having a great positive outlook about what sex is and what it can do to strengthen the marriage. What were your key takeaways? I would love to know. Sex is such a big part of marriage, clearly. It is a huge part of the relationship and a huge part of us feeling attractive. So do something over this next week to positively steward that relationship 
in your marriage. Until next week, stay strong.